Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, uh, Stephen Feiniger, and about six weeks ago, going on six, seven weeks, um, kind of did the very first interview of uh, Locke uh, McKay, who was one of the co-authors of the paper, dealing with the uh, the garotype uh, that was recently identified as quite possibly being Joseph Smith. And uh, I've been hearing from a lot of people throughout the audience, and people have been giving me their opinions. And the other day, about a week ago, I, uh, somebody reached out to me. And this gentleman, his name is Shannon Tracy. And you uh, basically reached out to me because you felt like you wanted to be able to weigh in on this because Shannon, since the mid-90s, has been involved in uh, different projects dealing with um, reconstructing the anatomy of, of Joseph Smith, and, and in particular, his, his face and his features. And he developed technology in the 90s. And it's really fascinating stuff. And he says, Steve, people want to hear from me. They've been asking me, and I wanted to come on your venue to talk about it. So before we get started on this, I just want to welcome you to the program, Shannon. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, you're kind, and I feel that your venue is probably the most open and uh, inviting for a conversation like this to have be had. So thank you so much. That's cool. And then just a few few things about Shannon. Uh, he spent a 30-year career in the IT field, uh, working for companies such as Microsoft, GE, Simmons. Um, he's done a lot of stuff with CGI. Actually, a lot of the technologies that uh, were developed in the 90s, it was kind of like it was. He was kind of on the forefront of it. But I also think uh, one of the things you had told me that you are most proud of your service in the Boy Scouts. Yeah. And uh, I just, I think that that's really cool. And you've won many awards at Silver Beaver, as well as a Distinguished Commissioner Service Award for his service. And he's uh, was awarded the directorate from the College of Commissioner Science for his work on scouting in the LDS environment pre presented to nationals. He is married with uh, to Vicki for 40 years, has five children and 13 grandchildren and lives in Arizona. So that's a little background there on Shannon. And um, yeah, so let's just talk about this. This is what, this is really what people want to talk about because they want to hear your opinion and uh, I think people are going to be very surprised at what you have to say. Well, it, so it's interesting. As soon as that image came out, I was not aware that it was hitting. And uh, all of a sudden, my, my text messages, my emails just started blowing up. And I was getting uh, uh, pinged by a lot of people who know my background and we've had relationships with. And they were saying, hey, what do you think about this image? And I go, what image are you talking about? So I took the time. I stopped. I looked at that. And uh, it's interesting is. You know, and I've watched Locke and Ron's uh, presentation of, of what they've done there, but that was after the fact. So when I first looked at the image, I just thought, well, there's some, there's some ratios I don't like. I'm not sure, but I got to take a look at it because there's also some things that I kind of recognized with the, what we had established as the anatomy of Joseph. So um, I told all my friends, I said, just give me a while. Uh, it's not my project. Uh, I don't have you know, the rights to be weighing in and being a heavy hand on this. This is Ron. Romick and Ron and Locke McKay's project. They own this, and uh, but I will take some time, and then if I feel comfortable enough, I'll make a, a, a statement about that. And so, since there's so many people have been waiting for me to make this statement, I thought this would be a great venue for this. So here it is. Is um, after I saw this, I started looking at it, and I just thought, yeah, there's something here. I need to take the time to evaluate it, at least in a cursory manner of what we did with the last images. And I received an invite to a presentation that Locke and Ron was going to do from the Joseph uh, or the Whitmer Society. And they presented, oh gosh, I think it ended up being over two hours. 
and they they systematically walk through the process and what they've done and some of the the evidences and their opinions and it was it became very apparent to me that they were using a lot of the same uh, observations and areas of uh, examination of the death masks and the images that we knew when we were working on the first project were elements of Joseph's anatomy. Um, and so the more that I watched what they were doing and, and examined that, and then also in my cursory examination, I came to the conclusion that there's something here. This, this is, uh, it has a couple things that other images that I discovered does not have. It has a much stronger provenance being able to trace that locket through female members of the Smith family and, and then through still through members of the Smith family until it came to the gentleman who owns it now and then to Locke and, and Ron. So I have to just tip my hat and say kudos to Ron and Locke for doing an amazing job. And they're still working on that. So uh, I feel that they need to be made, made uh, given the space to be able to finish their research. And they don't need me to weigh in on it any more than what I'm going to do today. Um, but that uh, for me, uh, and that's from the research that we've done over years and examining the images of, of, or the image of Joseph, there's are certain things that are baseline that will never change. Um, and from that, I have a, a very comfortable feeling that they need to finish this examination. And I think there's something there. Uh, the, the good thing is this image is a lot cleaner. It's a little bit uh, newer technology than others that I've seen. And so it gives you more detail to be able to examine. And so the, the important thing is there's a couple of things that you know, we have looked at for the image and death mask is one of those that doesn't change. And uh, you know, when, when you look at that, and if you look at the death mask, and this is one of the ones that we used on our project. The first project was called In Search of Joseph. Um, the probably the most important thing you can do when you're trying to examine the death mask as a forensic item is don't look at it in the face. Turn it upside down and look at it like this. Let the light cast itself and examine the details because then you start focusing on the details that are found there. And uh, surprisingly, just like what Locke and Ron have discovered and they, they, they know, is there's a lot of uh, anatomic details that have been captured with that. And in, in any forensic study to to use information, you need to make sure that you are open to observations. And then uh, uh, forensics is all about collecting information and what correlates and lines up is what you keep and everything else you put aside or until you can either bring it back in or it just gets left to the site. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I've had my stab at this years ago and that's all old. And that's one thing I wanna make sure that I tell other people is, is uh, all the technology that we used over 20 years ago is all, all archaic and old. And uh, there's newer technology can, that can do a much better job. And uh, for me, uh, you know, once you publish a book, then it just starts aging. And sometimes it doesn't age very well, specifically when it's around technology. Those things start becoming obsolete and, and you can be critical about that. And I, I agree with that. So for me, the most important thing that I wanted to do when I started this project, I wanted to know what Joseph and Hiram looked like. I wanted to know definitively whether or not they were good looking people or goony looking people or, you know, deformative, whatever we found is what we were going to accept because I wanted to see the real Joseph. And uh, I thought that if we could find that, it would allow people then to look at that as a real person rather than the icons that we've created over the different versions of artwork that we've done. And, you know, 
part of my frustrations in my earlier life is I was very curious that I also saw so much disparity and differences in, in how people were portraying Joseph. And then when you read his descriptions and, and things like that, it just wasn't a good alignment. And that's what drove me to want to do this. Not that I was an expert. Uh, I was just curious and kind of tenacious and the opportunity came. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, I re referenced you in a little teaser video yesterday as expert. And what you had told me is actually, and you mentioned this to me before is that you're the one that surrounded yourself with experts. So you yeah. just like, okay, I'm very curious about this. I want to really find the stuff out now. So this caused you to actually get in people with forensic backgrounds and doctors and scientists and stuff like that to help basically make sure that they, that your, your biases were not entering into this or what you wanted things to be that they didn't make sure. So maybe just, we could talk a little bit about <clears throat> that, but before we, we do, because again, folks, I always tell people, but one of the best things you can do if you're going to be part of a leadership team is that you be you realize you're smart enough, you're smart enough to realize you're not smart enough. Right. Yeah, and, I always tell everybody, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, then you're being deceived by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and uh, but you know, I, I do want to just actually, Shannon, before we continue, because I I want I want to, what was it like, for you personally, when you saw this image for the first time? And then you had said, yeah, first you had your reactions, but then when you had the realization, so let me, let me tell you what happened to me is I, I went into the interview, not reading the paper because everything was happened so quickly. Um, and I was kind of thinking maybe because I, I, the big thing for me was the hairline and, and the painting seemed to match. And I thought some of the other discrepancies would be, well, because this guy's really good at this artist in particular is painting good, really good at painting hairlines and getting them down. Mm -hmm. So that to me was like something, but I remember as I'm sitting in the presentation, as Locke is, is giving it, and he starts showing me some of the different, like on the sides on the mouth. Right. And then and, and then just and then, then I see the ears and then I see the line. Right. So as he's really putting this thing together, I'm literally taping this and realizing, oh my goodness, I am looking at the face of Joseph. Right. And it happened while I'm on camera, like, wow. <laughs> what was what was it like when you had that that realization? Well, and much the same of what you did is when I started really looking at it, even before I attended Locke and, and Ron's uh, presentation, I started pulling out all the, the analysis and all the details, all the images and correlating those. And I began to see, okay, there's that mark in the, the scowl line in the, in the eyebrows. There is the features around the left eyebrow and cheek. There are the scowl lines and the, the, the unique features uh, around the lips and things. And I started looking at wow. Uh, and so then I started getting critical and pulling up and looking at percentages and ratios, which are very important. You know, and back then we, we used uh, the uh, FBI's uh, critique of having, we had 32 points of correlation. And those, I brought those same points up and did an overlay and I go, okay, I know this is old, there's better ways to do this, but these things are starting to line up again. So uh, it kind of was like walking back through my first visit, but I was like you, I all of a sudden I looked and said, okay, here is an image of a real man who has had life experience upon him, but yet uh, has some very unique features about him. He's a very comfortable looking man. Uh, he has very penetrating eyes. He was starting to, I was checking off all the things that I was comfortable in who I thought Joseph should be. So, but remember, this is not my project. What I'm saying here is just my opinion. I've not been part of their research. I have not been part of the discussions. And I will tell you, when you go through a process like that, we are only seeing 
the top of the iceberg of all the conversations and the details that they've gone through. And when I've seen people weigh in on this with their opinions and stuff, you know, specifically when it comes back to negative, I listen to some of the things they say. I really, guys, you 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 don't understand the whole details here, and you're letting your bias approach this. You have to be able to be critical. And but but there comes a point when that criticalness you've satisfied enough of that, but then you start looking at this and. I'm impressed. This is a, a real man. That's a real person that's not been glorified and turned into a, a deity or to an icon. So I feel very comfortable if this actually turns out to have the, the weight and the strength of the authentication that could happen, that this is an image that I could embrace myself with. So one of the most interesting things is you and I, we've, uh, we've gone through some images because like you and I, we've talked a couple times. And as, uh, as I'm hearing and also seeing the visuals that you've presented to me, which we're going to share with the audience as well today, um, that uh, of previous work that you've done, uh, you know, starting with your project in the 1990s. And what you had mentioned to me, and you kind of alluded to this, is that basically we're going to have to start from scratch because basically everything was so primitive back then. And as a matter of fact, you you had to develop a lot of the technologies to actually make be able to make the first 3D image of Joseph Smith in the 90s, which is amazing when you think about it. Um, and now you realize, hey. You know, it's so far advanced that you want to basically start from scratch and get a new team involved and basically start all over again. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So to me, when you think about where we're at, you know, you take about how how do we take the 3D image of the death mask and bring it into an environment that we can study? Well, we had a, st a stylus and we actually, if you take a look at that, there's lines all over Joseph's face. So I mean, it's drawing a topographical, topographical map of his face. So we had the anatomists and the doctors work on mapping that out. And then you actually meticulously went into each of the intersections and you clicked and you made a point in space in the computer. And you went through and you methodically mapped all those out. And in today's technology, between this point and this point is a thousand points. And the details that you can pull off that are so much more powerful and accurate that this is like, you know, the stone age with people hammering with a rock on another rock to make an image. So where this was cutting edge back 20 plus years ago, this is our take. And to me, I'm excited where the technology is. Again, I've been following it for years and uh, been wondering, hey, should we start and do it again? It would be nice to be able to do that. But then when I discussed with other people, they said, well, then you're going to be critical of your own work. You're going to actually have to dismiss it. And I said, yeah, that's okay. That's what you should do. Uh, if you think that you own something that has to be right forever, then, then you're not very smart. You're being a fool. And so when technology improves itself and when processes improve themselves and more information gets exposed, then you should be very comfortable in going ahead and taking all your work you set it aside and say, hey, it's not really relevant anymore. Let's, let's see where a, a real forensic study would take us now if we did that. So, and so, and then in, in addition to that, um, and we'll talk about this later on, is when, when I did the project, I, I made a goal that I just wanted, the goal was to create a, a repository of the anatomy of Joseph and Hire that anybody could use and use it for analysis. So we tried to do that. We did it as best we could. Uh, in the process, what we started off with was just the death mass. That's all we knew. But during the course, of the project, I, I was made aware of Ron Romick and the RLDS Church at the time they called that they had photographs of the skeleton remains. And, and they were looking at trying to work on authenticating an image. Uh, but I was focused on those 
uh, the photos of the skeletons. I said, well, I said, there is something that's missing. If I had that, we can apply that and try to bring them together, make a marriage of that and create better accurate 3D models. So that's where something that I was very interested in. And we'll talk a little bit about those images. And so, but where we're at right now, we were scanning in 2D images and trying to create the, them to where we could overlay them with the, with the death mass that we could bring into 3D and rotate that into the position that we could align it with the 2D images. Well, today, because of AI and technology, we can actually take those same photographs and we can use the artificial intelligence and the power of the computer and extrapolate those into 3D models. Because we have more than three different views of the same information, the computer can plot those off and say, hey, I'll, let me make you a 3D model what that should look like. Now, you take away all the, the opportunities for errors and judgment out of aligning uh, uh, you know, a, a death mass against the 2D image of that information. That's powerful. That, I mean, that to me is enough of a reason why to start over and throw everything away. Because if, if we can do that and it's successful, and then we're still looking at the, the technologies and the people that are experts in this to do that, then that will really help us then build up from the skull through the death mass and also applying fleshy contours and depths and muscle tones and with technology where they can do and actually build without any other references and say this is what the, the forensic science tells us should be on this skull and aligned up with these death masks. Of course, obviously you have to bring doctors in, you have to bring in experts that will tell you what are the impacts of the trauma that happened during the death of these two people that need to be accounted for in the death mass, but there are a lot of contours, part of the anatomy that doesn't change, that uh, really helps you fill in the gaps between the skull and the death mass. And so my goal is if we do get this done, and there's a reason why we're doing that, is then all that information will just be given and say, here, use this however you want. If you want to test it against an image, here's what we are feeling is a pretty good uh, repository or a baseline for the anatomy of Joseph Hire. Then you could look at that and use that against any image and, and make a, a critical analysis of that. I don't have to be involved. My impressions don't have to be involved here. The experts have told us from what we've done here, here is a 3D model of Joseph and Hiram. And you know, we've never really looked at Hiram. Maybe there's some photographs of Hiram out there. And, and, and maybe this would be enough to where, I mean, you see in a lot of TV and documentaries where they'll actually take skulls and they'll apply clay and which represents muscle tone and ligatures and, and flesh tones and depths. And then they actually build you out um, a head with uh, you know, some type of realistic representation. I've seen them do it with Tukatum. I've you know, seen them do it with lots of different people. Well, you can actually do that with this if we do it right. But it's gonna, it's gonna have to be very meticulous. It has to be very careful. And you have to be able to make sure you bring the, re the, the experts in and then also uh, uh, annotate and make sure that everybody rel uh, is relevant of what are the things that the computers make assumptions on as well. Because even, even today with as far advanced as things are, there are gonna be some assumptions that the computer gonna make when it tries to line this point up with the skull with the same point over here from a different perspective and then try to create it into a 3D model. So those are there, but it's sure a lot better than what we had you know, 20 plus years ago. That's very exciting. And so folks, just so you know, um, you've assembled a, so far and you're gonna, you're building a team so far, you have a six-member team that's involved, and it's called the Voices of the Restoration. 
And uh, this is a group that you're starting up. And I'm going to leave a link in the description for an email for those of you who would be interested in contacting you. Um, but also, this is going to require a substantial amount of financing, which we're going to talk about. But I, I, I want to kind of have you take the lead now. Now, you had, we, we've enabled the screen share. I want you to share with the audience the work that you did do and, and really the groundbreaking work that you did. And also, we can also maybe talk a little bit more about the skulls because you actually were the one that kind of identified that it looks like the skulls were misidentified. And you were going by um, what other scientists were telling you, uh, forensic people, because you even asked them. Um, so we could, we could talk about that as well. So um, yeah, so the caveat that I want to make sure I put out there is mm -hmm. any information and images I show you right now is outdated yep. and, and should be uh, replaced by more modern technology. So even when I show these things, I kind of cringe because I know what the faults were. I know what some errors and that were there, but they were the best that we had. They gave us an opportunity to, to start this path and we created process and we got people thinking about things. And so to me, I look at that first project, it was called In Search of Joseph. I kind of figured that that was kind of a dry run 20 plus years ago. And uh, so in saying that, there are a lot of things that people have been very critical about how we did things and how we use things. Uh, I too am critical now because things have changed. And, uh, and so, it, you know, I am not a perfect person. We're mistakes uh, made probably. But that we tried very hard with the experts we brought in to lock in the ratios, lock in the scaling to where we try to minimize any fallacies of man that came in there. But you know, at, at that point, it still required man to make some, some um, observations. So let me, and I, and I kind of do this reluctantly, but there's a lot of people who would like to see some of this stuff. So I will share that. And uh, one thing, and let me bring it up here so we have that. Tell me when you can see the screen. Okay, we're okay. In search of Joseph is on the screen. Yeah, so that was the name of the first project. In that, actually, it was a project. It was not intended to be a book. Uh, my desire was to see if I could find uh, an accurate image of Joseph, and that was what took it. You know, and so in that process, I started. I was, I think, I was visiting in the Joseph Field House, and in the basement there, there was a a display of Joseph and Hiram's death masks in a cabinet some lights on it. And I just started to start dabbling in the idea of 3D animation. It was very new in its infancy. And I, I, I looked at those and I, this question that I've been asking before is, is there a way for us to create a, a, an image of Joseph that would be at, at least as accurate as possible for what he looked like when he was in, on this earth at this time? And I looked at that and I said, well, there it is. There's a death mask. Obviously there's a moment in time that we could look at. So from that, um, I started trying to figure out, okay, how could I get access to that? And then I started mapping out a plan and a strategy of how could we do this? Who would need to be involved? Well, what would be a, a forensic thing? And how could we make sure we put the right type of controls and, uh, and technology in place to see where it would go? And really at that point, I really didn't care what the end was. I just wanted it to be as accurate as possible, whether it showed him as a very nice looking man or whether it showed him as, you know, goony or or you know whatever what we found is what i was going to, to try to portray and be happy with that um and uh to, so i can also give you a caveat when we got through and we actually made 3d models i was very disappointed with what we ended up with because the technology wasn't up to what my vision and my expectations that could happen i knew the technology needs to advance more from that but we we did it and we did as best we can um i self-funded that myself uh 
and start finding the right people. So let me see Danso. So obviously we were very aware of this image. A lot of people were familiar with this uh, black and white version of the oil painting, and we were familiar with that. And there, you know, and that's one thing that Locke and Ron has done is they've really been able to analyze this and show what actually does correlate with what we have. And then there's all these other images. This is kind of gives you the the idea of my frustration of all the different type of variations of Joseph's image. And this one here has always kind of um, was one of my chuckle ones. There's also one that kind of looks like Joseph Smith and is uh, Count Dracula. So they're all over. And then there's also the Hiram. So this was part of that catalyst that started me along that journey. And then the death mass. This I do. Just so you know, folks, Hiram had the, the, uh, the sideburns. Yeah, he, some he, people were thinking that this photo was of Hiram, but yeah, he always had the sideburns. Yeah, so Hiram, whether or not Joseph could or could not grow sideburns, there's no there's no image that ever shows that he has them. But Hiram is constantly being represented with sideburns. So then this this is this is Joseph and this is Hiram, and then we we knew that we needed to study these things out and uh, determine whether or not uh, what the information here was applicable for us to to, to be able to use. So I'm going to take kind of a caveat right now before I jump into the rest of that. And the reason why I'm jumping back into the fray of this is recently um, I've been asked by a number of people and I've had some strong impressions that we needed to do a forensic analysis of the martyrdom. When I was doing this project and other projects, we were exposed to a lot of information that was forensic in nature about the martyrdom. And I started collecting that, putting those things together. And I actually started mapping out in my mind uh, a, a map or a journey of how, how could you forensically examine the martyrdom and how would I do that and what would I need? So I already started putting that together and started putting information, which also meant that I'd been out to Nauvoo and, and Carthage. I was given a, a, a very unique honor where they allowed us to spend the night, a couple of nights in Carthage jail and map things out measure things and uh, capture information that would be eventually helpful for a forensic analysis. So the reason why I'm taking a break right now is I kind of wanted to introduce why, why I feel it's important for us to do this again, because we would like to create more accurate 3D models of Joseph and Hiram to be able to utilize in a forensic analysis of the martyrdom. And uh, that's why you see the, the title of Voices of the Restoration is that my team that we're putting together of experts and then the six people is just not all of them. We'll be bringing other people in that have value and understanding and expertise in certain areas that will help add to that team. But the Voices of the Restoration is, is a, a organization that's gonna be focused on uh, creating historically and scripturally uh, accurate portrayals of key events of the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints broken down into 60 minutes episodes along the timelines and events from the pre-existence to our current days, you know, staying true to document trains, true to discussions and the facts using forensics uh, analysis of history of peoples and, and putting together that information because we feel that it's, it's time is now that there, there needs to be a good, clean, open discussion about the, the restoration and the voices of that restoration need to be able to come out in the format that people are used to seeing and can and appreciate. So uh, we want it to be factually, historically accurate. Uh, the series will try to be clear and succinct uh, and, and invitation of lots of different people along that. And it's not just, uh, it's going to be a lot of different um, 
documentaries. And so, so the vision is to keep it comprehensive and spiritual and accurate, but also a place that anybody that is not spiritually interested in will still come and find and say, hey, that, that seems accurate. It doesn't seem biased, but it is an, a place where people can see different events. And so we actually plan on having about six seasons. The first season starts from the restoration, goes all the way through um, uh, the Nauvoo time period. And the, each one of these would be a 60 minute uh, documentary. But season two is the biggest thing that we, we kind of thought about starting this off and that's gonna be on the martyrdom. We will start on that. We will actually do season two first. And there will be three major documentaries, which will be, what was the catalyst of the Martyrdom? Where did it start? Who's involved? And how did it progress from that catalyst idea of, of killing Joseph to the point of getting it to Carthage? And then there'll be the Carthage and the Martyrdom actually taking a very serious forensic analysis of all the facts. Uh, we'll be building 3D models. We will do live action. We will then be able to take the 3D models that we create and use the forensic uh, analysis that we see from Carthage, which shows you know, pathways through bullets. Uh, one thing about Carthage is, and using a forensic analysis of that is, it is more about what could have happened rather than what people have said that happened. Because in all crime scenes, when you have a, 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 a forensic uh, criminal investigation, they're going in, they're collecting information. It's more about throwing away the things that are not probable and could not happen. And what's left over is, is the opportunity. And then taking in different um, people's witnesses, uh, testimonies, but then also lining that up to see where it lines up with the facts of the room itself and the geometry and the time periods and things like that. So that'll be a very focused and very amazing thing. It, and we're, we're looking at that to say, what does it tell us? Not an agenda to say, what, what do we want it to say? But what does it tell us? What do we find out from that when we do it? And that, that, that will be led by uh, criminal forensic uh, experts, uh, a group of people that have had over 60 years combined of working with over a thousand crime scenes and deaths and murders where they know how to map a crime scene and a forensic analysis of that. Uh, I know that we don't have the people there anymore. We don't have all the people to interview, but there's that information and they will, they will um, guide the team along in gathering the information and pulling together all the details and then asking the same questions of this information and putting it into perspective is what it's telling us. And then the third part will be the- Well, before the we move on to the third part, sure. um, I just, one of the things we talked about was what you're trying to do is um, get the anatomy correct, like finally get right. uh, Joseph and Hiram, and you have data points. So we'll have data points within the, within the anatomy, but we also have data points of Carthage jail, the dimensions, the trajectory of the bullet holes. And, and actually it's interesting because there are there, there isn't just the bullet hole that comes through the door, but there's actually other bullet holes uh, on yeah. the door as well. And um, so you're gonna try to basically recreate exactly what happened in mm -hmm. that room at that time. That's kind of like you're going, right. now of course the elephant in the room here folks, of course is there, there and we, I don't know how much you wanna talk about it, but of course we had that movie, Who Killed Joseph Smith that came out earlier this year. I had Justin on, uh, the director producer of it. And um, he's been on my program a couple times. And uh, another, and basically, when, once this whole project is 
done, you're going to make this information available to people. So, so even Justin can look at the sure. data. You're not, sure. and, and, and he can weigh in on that kind of stuff as well. So I, I think one of the real critical thing is when you try to have actors re reenact things, the, you don't know if you're actually being accurate enough. So if you create an accurate 3D model of Joseph and Hire, and then you also then light up uh, from the, the coroner's report, the locations of the different wounds, and then you can actually start from the different positions of where bullets went through doors and went through things and analyze to see how accurate that is. And are they, are they still representing the, the truth and facts? What you can then start doing is, is taking the 3D model and then taking the description of, of what people said happened and then the actual physical impact on the bodies and show where could, uh, how could these things have happened? What are the angles? What are the, you know, what makes, can you put him in a position where this shot lines up can you move them around the room and and then analyze that and that's exactly what they do with crime scenes right now you know if you anybody that watches csi or anything like that or ncis you see a lot of that and so that same exploration and technology is what we're going to try to build out uh, very comprehensive and the most important thing to do is you have to use as much exact information so if you talk about the caliber of a of a rifle and a bullet and you sure better use that caliber and that rifle, not use substitutions. And because that is important to make sure that you try to get as much information of that. You, you may not know the exact load uh, or the weight of that, but you know what was described is there. And you can test the different variations to see, is it probable? Could it have happened? And if it's not, it doesn't match up, then you set it aside. Or you have to take a look and say, what, what's causing us not be able to look at that? So, yeah, that, that center... Uh, documentary is going to be very fascinating. I'm excited to get into it because I can't wait to see what it says. Uh, you know, I, I, and I've I've uh, done a lot of analysis of John Taylor and Willard Richards' descriptions, and also other people's descriptions and testimonies of what they've had inside and outside of Carthage. And the the lead criminal forensic analysis uh, gentleman, he says, you know, the 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 worst person to give you a statement of what happened during the crime is the people that it was acted upon. They, they're, they're not always the best, you know, they're, they're being acted upon them. And there are a lot of times where the mind shuts down or they just don't say everything else. And so the mind hates vacuums. And so it'll fill in the vacuum. And what happens a lot of times is, is when other people start talking to them, it starts filling in the, 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 the story and things get entered into that. So the sooner that you can talk to these people before they start talking to other people, is the best. And if you ever notice that, that what they, the crime scene people, they want to isolate both the witnesses and the, the people who are acting upon it and start getting their information as soon as possible. So that is going to be very fascinating. So there will be live action. There will also be uh, 3D recreations, uh, analysis, trajectories, and, and really exploring point by point all the wounds that everybody had documented. And, and the coroner's report is very uh, it's a very good document that gives us a good description. And I'll show some pictures about that representation later on. Uh, so uh, so was there any other questions you want to ask on that? And we'll get into that a little bit later yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's continue. So then the, the last part of that is really the transition or aspect of the martyrdom. What happened afterwards? What, what did the church have to deal with at the transition of power, the, you know, the vying for leadership and and being able to talk about that, I think that would be important for us to kind of migrate that because, you know, some of them went west, some went, you know, we had the different string acts. We have all those different things. So there was an effect that happened from that. And that will be, that will be the third part of C2 
season two. And we're going to start with season two first. Okay. And then we'll have uh, season three, we'll talk about the migration and the building up of Zion. Uh, and then uh, final season will be about the different prophets of the restoration. We'll, what we need to do is th these are not fixed of what we're going to do. They're just this catalyst of a, a map of what could happen. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, it's not just the recreating the modernism. We're trying to find a venue where the voices of the restoration, and I think we need to expand that to the whole restoration, who all gets involved. And we'll discuss who, what are some of the stories that also need to be discussed on that. So it'll be a fascinating thing. And it will be, it will be a place where people can come and pick and choose of what they want to look at. And, but what we want to do is make sure that we bring all the, the experts, uh, all the people who have the information or have a suggestion of a documentary that could be had. And, th and this could be the catalyst to be able to build that repository. Fascinating stuff. And of course, this is quite an endeavor. And right. um, part of the reason uh, we want to have this have you on is because, first of all, you you were going to do something a few months ago, and then you had some issues that come about, and you're kind of like, man, I want to get going on this thing because you 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 want to you feel like this is this really is your your life's work that you want to be able to do, and I know how important all of this is to you. And so one of the things we're going to have this email. So those of you who'd like to help, maybe. They're going to eventually get like a Kickstarter campaign set up to help get the, because this is, this is a big thing. I mean, you got three seasons. These are 60 minute things. I mean, this is going to be a really, really big deal. But this is going to tell the story of the restoration in a very unique uh, and hopefully very accurate way. Yeah, so we're hoping to, to lead off with one thing I think is on the minds of a lot of people, and that is the martyrdom. And then we know approximately what that's going to cost to do those documentaries. And we're, we're north of half a million dollars or something like that. Uh, and we need to get a little bit more money together so we can actually get started on a few things right now. We've already started. The team is very excited, but none of us are rich people. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, that's probably happens a lot with people who have passion, but yet don't always have dollars. So we're always looking for those who also have passion and dollars and we'd like to get behind and support that. Um, so um, I was just putting a few things here with uh, that, some of the ideas of what we need to do with the, and we're gonna put into the, the documentary. So, and, and we'll have more of this information available on the site. We'll have a site put out, we'll have a, a YouTube channel. And um, so you mentioned earlier, and, and I will go ahead and expose that right here. Shortly after I started putting this team together, um, I came back from uh, a conference I was at and uh, was not quite feeling well. I had some blood work done and I was diagnosed with cancer. And that kind of set me into a little bit different direction for a while. And for the last three and a half, four months, I've been dealing with trying to, to get through that. And I'm about three weeks away from getting through my final radiation treatments and hopefully be on the mend for that. So um, there were a lot of people who heard that we were going to be doing this and and it was going to get started and it just kind of went dark for a while. And I apologize that it happened, but in reality, it uh, kind of gave me a left hook and I'm not looking for sympathy or anything like that. But, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago, I, uh, I get kept being pestered in my mind uh, of the thought of doing this on the monitor and, and other things. And it just wouldn't let me go. And I've been through a number of different projects where we've dealt with Joseph Smith and they can be painful. <laughs> There's a lot of people that will either like you or don't like you and, and come after you. And to be honest with you, I really didn't want to get back to that fray. I was happy being closer to retirement, enjoying that, but this thing just would not let me go. And I 
you know, like you said, I don't feel that I am anybody special, but maybe what I just need to be is the, the person here that helps organize and get the right people together and get this thing started. So as we discussed more, it became more of a, a bigger thing than just the martyrdom. It became voices of the restoration. And, you know, for things that you're doing and other people are doing, there's a lot of voices of the restoration that I think this could be a catalyst for a lot of those different documentaries to be able to be built out and for people to see more in a structure to organize, not just a podcast, but actually methodically going to and putting documentaries about that. And there's a, there's a hunger and interest in that, but there's a format that people are used to seeing that now. And so we need to make sure that we put things into that format that people can come look, view, enjoy, and then pick and choose what they want rather than, you know, some of the older ways of doing that. So we will, we'll try to do that. So, uh, I know we've kind of gone all sorts oh, of places fine. right now. And <laughs> so back to the original project, when I, when I first did this, I, like I said, we started off and thinking that we're going to be focused in on the death mask. And during the course of working through and getting uh, the church giving us a copy of the death mask, they actually went out and made a brand new cast from the original molds that they had and gave that to us. So they wanted us to have as close as we could to the original castings of the molds. And I, I was very humbled. Uh, Glenn Leonard was uh, was responsible for putting that together, and he presented that to us, and we were along that process. And when I was talking to him one day, he made a mention. He says, you know, you may want to talk to a gentleman by the name of Ron Romy, and he's a he's an archivist, or he's in the history uh, museum there at the community, or the Arnold Davis Church, it was called at that time, and he has um, some photographs of the skeletal remains of Joseph, and he's working on trying to see if we can figure out a way to use that information to possibly authenticate the daguerreotypes that they have. And so my focus came on photographs of the skeletal remains. And then I just immediately thought, well, if I had that, we could sure bring this, this image to a much better focus of details if we could actually have access to those. And I just had all sorts of great ideas. Well, Ron just happened to be at BYU, I think in the next coming week, I went down and looked at his presentation saw what he was doing. It was just fascinating. Of course, there's a lot of people there in the room and everybody wanted to go up and talk to him. And I, I sat back and waited for everybody else to leave. And I approached him and told him a little bit about my project. And uh, he actually was very open and interested. And I said, you know, is there a way that I could get access or a copy to the photographs of skeletal remains? And he said, well, I don't know, but he'd go back and figure it out. And, and he's, he, we mapped out a way that maybe we could work with each other and help each other with the different projects they had. And, and the idea was, is if we could really get an accurate repository of the anatomy of Joseph, then a lot of things could be utilized from that. Mm -hmm. So he went back uh, and, and he was successful in getting uh, me access to the photographs of the skeletal remains. So the history behind those, those uh, photographs starts in, you know, in, in January 1928, the homestead uh, there in Nauvoo was in danger of being encroached upon by the Mississippi River. They just built out the, the Keokuk Dam and the waters were encroaching on the property there. And they were afraid that uh, Joseph and Hiram's graves could be swept away or, or be underneath water. And since they didn't know exactly where they were at, they needed to go find them. And, and in 1928, a gentleman by the name of W.O. Hans was given the, the uh, quest to go out there and locate the the graves and if possible uh, uncover them and put them into a better location and so uh, this is an old picture of, of some of the work that they did the government put this brick of rack or this rock around the the, the uh, Mississippi River to try to keep the 
the encroachment of the river from the Smith uh, homestead. And this is the original home that Joseph lived in most of his life. If you look at the one area on the right there, that's the area that he lived in. The part of the, on the left was an area that was expanded upon after his death. So he really lived in a very humble home up until about a year and a half before his death. So then uh, this is an aerial view of that same area, looking, I think, from one of the upper bedroom windows of the, the homestead house. And this, you see, there's Emma's grave marker. These are other family members. I'm thinking there's probably Joseph Sr., uh, his wife, and maybe some of the other brothers. So in this whole area was the, the um, burial grounds of the family uh, cemetery. So this is an area that they want to look at. Uh, this is a picture looking at Emma's grave marker in perspective to the homestead. Um, they, they immediately interviewed people that are out there, and there still were some people who remembered that there was an outbuilding, which they called the spring house at that time, that was lower and closer to the river. And you see up here, here's Emma's grave marker. So these guys are down by the river. And they actually dig around and they find a foundation and they start digging it out to see if they can find the remains because they knew that they had been buried in the basement of, of an outbuilding. And the more they dug, they got down to, to uh, undisturbed ground and they did not find anything here. They found that the water level was up. So Ohans went back and he, he, he remembered that Emma gave specific directions as to where she wanted to be buried when she passed away. And so they came up around Emma's grave marker and you see that there is, uh, these are lilac bushes. Emma loved lilac bushes and they were here. So they trenched around her grave <coughs> and they trenched in front, they trenched here. Uh, they were searching for any evidence. They trenched across here and as they trenched across here, they actually ran in and they found a body. And that actually ended up being Emma. So when they put her grave marker down later on, and it was years later, they missed where they actually had buried her. And she was closer to where somebody had put some lilac bushes. And then as they trenched across over here, they came um, across an outbuilding. And the, this is a picture of the foundation of that outbuilding. They started uncovering that. And within a short time period, they discovered two bodies. Um, okay. we, this, so the first body that they uncovered was this one here, which we call the more intact skull. And then this one here is the less intact skull. Uh, and when they and these people were not historians, they weren't very accurate. Uh, when they first saw this more intact skull, and this is actually this is a, a reconstruction of what that building probably looked like uh, at the time okay. when it was still whole. So that's the building. That's a reconstruction of the structure that jo Joseph and Hiram were buried under. Is that correct? E exactly. So when you look at and you go into there, they they show the basement, and so in the basement there. It, it had it had a um, a brick floor that had been put down in there. So when if you remember about Joseph and Hiram, when they when they had the funeral, they they had the viewing ahead of time in the mansion house, and they had the bodies in caskets inside wooden crates, and then they closed the cast the 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 house up. They boxed up the crates and put a top on it. But what they did is they removed Joseph and Hiram's caskets and they put them upstairs in one of the rooms in the mansion house. And then they filled the, those crates up with, with weights and those were escorted up to the funeral. And those were the, the, the crates were buried in Joseph's tomb that night. And so they were afraid, the reason why they did is that they were afraid of the bounty that was on Joseph's head, that people were gonna come and try to disturb the grave and cut his head off and try to get the bounty on that. So later on that night, uh, uh, 
Emma had people that were trusted come over and they took the, the caskets out of the mansion house and took it across the street to the south where they were in the process of, of building the Nauvoo house. And they had the foundation was built up mostly around there. They went inside the foundation around the, the uh, northern western area and they dug out an area and they put Joseph and Hiram into to, to the ground and they buried it up covered it up and spread lots of stuff to make it look like it was undisturbed and then a big huge Mississippi rainstorm hit and just kind of obliterated the evidence of that and those bodies stayed in that position for our location for quite a while until they actually started building the Nauvoo house out some more and then Emma was concerned that the, the bodies would be stuck in the basement of the Nauvoo house and so she gathered a number of the same people that that were placed the bodies there they uncovered them they brought them over across the street and put them into this the basement of this area and and uh, put the two caskets down and they took up the floor dug out enough put the the caskets in there but before they did they actually opened up the the caskets and examined the bodies and this will be the second time that we actually have somebody giving us impression of what the bodies looked like uh, before they are the consigned to the grave and one thing that's really important here is emma took the chance to to take and get some cuttings of of joseph's hair but they also made a comment about Hiram. and then when they looked at Hiram, the a statement was made that his whole face had fallen in on itself and uh, that and what the doctors say from the description is probably what happened is the fleshy contours and all the connective tissue has started to disintegrate and rot away and that which was holding those together for the, the making of the death mass was now compromised and had fallen in. So the major structure of, of his face was compromised and, and it was a deficit there. So that also helps us understand what are we looking at later on in the skulls. Mm -hmm. Then they, they took them up, they uh, um, uh, took the skulls, and, uh, and there are a lot of people who get disturbed when I show these, but this is what they call the more intact skull. This is the first one they, that they looked at. One of the persons that looked at that, they said, well, this must be Hiram because there's this break in his face here on the right side, and he was shot on the right side, so this must be Hiram. And then they looked at the less intact skull and said, oh, well, this must be Joseph. He must have fallen on his face when he fell out of the window, and it broke all these bones up. And then they took all these pictures, and this is fascinating that they actually took the pictures. They didn't put them in anatomically correct, but we also have, if you look, we have three different profiles. We have front and uh, right side, uh, front and right side, and then we have the back of each of the skulls. And what they did then is they left uh, the rest of the bones in the grave where they're at and prepared a new grave site for Joseph and Hiram. And since they had, had unearthed Emma's remains they went ahead and created a location for her as well and they uh, they took two by twelves they pound them together in a, a form of a box for each one they lined them with uh, uh, somebody says it was silk uh, but it was some type of white cloth and then W. Hans says that he meticulously repaced all the bones in as close an anatomic structure that he could and then they pound two by twelves on top they had put sand around there they had concrete underneath there and then they poured a new fresh um, cover of concrete on top of those. Now, just and, so you know, folks, this, these are the only photographs of the mostly intact full skeletal remains of all three. And yeah. uh, I just want you all to maybe ponder and look at that 
that's what we have. So we don't have, they weren't, you know, forensic scientists back then. They didn't, they didn't document the rest of the skeletal stru structures. Um, right. But the one thing this, that I, this, go ahead. I was going to say is that this is the thing is like what a, what a lot of people don't realize is that apparently there was a misidentification of the skulls. And if you go to the grave site now, apparently Joseph and Hiram um, are switched. So actually where Hiram is buried is where um, Joseph is actually buried. Is that, is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So here's, here's the identification. This was Emma. And when you look at what you can see from the, the image and I've blown it up and take a look at it. She, she obviously had osteoporosis when she died. So her bone structure was already quite compromised. So her so her, her remains were less intact than right. theirs because of the osteoporosis. Right, but they did find a lot of interesting artifacts. They found a brooch, they found a, a collar. And so there's a lot of things, if you, and I'm not sure they still have them on display, but they they were on display at, in the art of the Cooney Crisis uh, Museum area there. And then this is the, more, the less intact skull and then this is the more intact skull. And this is one that we, we feel comfortable that it was Joseph. Now, I will tell you, I was very interested. I would have loved to seen a bigger, closer representation of the skeletal remains because I was curious to see what evidence there was on the leg bones of Joseph when he had his surgery. Uh, surgery. Because and anybody that knows anything about uh, when you have surgery or when the bones are compromised, they don't come back and grow exactly like they were before. Uh, I had uh, a, a motorcycle accident that broke my right leg in half, uh, the lower leg, and the big bone was, you know, in pieces. <laughs> and so they put it back together. And if you feel my leg bone right now, it goes normal and then it gets really, really wide and it goes back because the, the bones knit it back together as best they could. And um, so there would have been evidence in here of that surgery. And I always ask people, can you tell me which leg Joseph had the uh, surgery on and there's ways to deduce that and we may talk about that later on but it would have been interesting to see that because that would have been another uh, artifact to be able to clearly identify who they are so another thing here is the grave marker here this actually is Emma's grave marker that was on her grave before they moved it and they turned it over cut it in three pieces and actually made new gravestones and it, this was what it looked like for many many years until what was it, about 10 15 years ago that they put the new granite marble monument there. And, and that's what you see there now. But this is how it looked for many, many years. Oh, this is the thing so, too, folks. Uh, they poured, you had talked talk to me about this the other day, that basically they poured concrete down. And basically that, so that will make, make it almost, basically don't you think the skeletal structures you say have basically been disintegrated because of the, the yeah, interaction I'll, I'll, with the bones? And this yeah, concrete. a lot of people said, well, why don't you petition, have them dig them back up yeah. and re-examine all that. And I'm thinking, you know, the nature of how when you have new concrete, there's a lot of chemical reactions going on. And one of the things that they chemically reacts is with calcium. And so really what they did inadvertently without having it perfectly sealed, they created a little stove or cooker oven that probably went in there and and has deteriorated the, the skeletal remains to uh, who knows what it is. And it's not worth disturbing them. Uh, and it's enough that we're just, you know, showing the images uh, of their, their skeletal remains. And so I've had a lot of people really be critical about us showing these. And they said, well, how, how dare you um, show Joseph's bones? I said, well, you know, if you remember, Joseph marched across the plains of, the, of Ohio and Illinois, and they dug up a number of different skeletal remains and were fascinated in, and articulated those that, you know, have Zelf, mm -hmm. Zelf's mound. So it wasn't something that he was 
against. <laughs> so I, I think that he would be okay with that. But then again, I don't know. I don't. I can't represent Joseph, and I don't represent any of his uh, his uh, his descendants. Uh, but in doing this and starting this, because we had to, it was part of what we were putting together as the anatomy. We had to be transparent with what we had. So I'm going to quickly go through some of these other things. So we took the images. Oops, let me bring it back. Uh, and we we cleaned them up as best we could. And then what we found out is that the jaw bones were not in the proper articulate location. They were not properly or anatomically, uh, anatomically located. But we could start looking at things and examining them. And this is when we brought in uh, uh, experts from their fields. We had a doctor by the name of, what was his name? Um, Harold, Niles Harold. He was, he's a doctor that was responsible for helping restore people's faces that had involved in accidents or some type of thing where they're trying to reconstruct the images of their, you know, in life. And so he was very familiar with the bones of the, the face and the skulls. And then we also had Dr. Uh, what was his name? Vandegraaff. He was a, a retired professor from BYU's in anatomy and, and things like that. So they came in and assisted us in analyzing the skeletal remains and help guide us to be able to utilize them. So then here's the less intact skull. Uh, as you can see, uh, almost the whole face area was missing. I suspect that these bones were in the grave site in the dirt, they just missed them. And then here it is from the side profile of uh, the more intact skull. One thing to, to recognize here, to see this really fine bone here, this is part of the bridge there. That fine bone there really extends out. You can't really see it from this image, but it, it would not be there and left intact if a bullet went anywhere near that. It would have been broken off. So what we did is we went through and we started to try to break these images up, put them into different areas, and then try to articulate them. Uh, this is Dr. Vandegrift and um, Miles. Uh, and they sat at the computer and they, they, they helped us manipulate these images to get them ready for us to do some overlays. So unfortunately, that's a much younger me. <laughs> so, so then, as you see, we, we try to put them into the proper position. And remember, this is where now a human intervention is trying to take and make some adjustments. If and when we get a chance to use the AI to be able to reconstruct these, we'll let it do that. And it'll take away any errors or mistakes that we made during this time period. And I'm happy to see that all this is, remember, I'm showing this saying, none of this is relevant anymore. We're gonna use newer technology, but it's important for us to see what we did. Um, and so we, we thought we had a pretty good profile, but what we also realized is the doctors told us, well, the, 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 the skulls are being rotated toward us at about an eight degree angle. And it was, it was presenting us with a little bit more of the left hand side of the skull. So we needed to take into consideration when we overlaid the death mass that there was an eight degree of rotation. And it made the, this area a little bit smaller and made this little area bump here stick out. So, but we could account for that in the 3D models as best we could at that time. So once again, then we looked at Hiram. Uh, since this was supposed to be Hiram's skull, we tried to fit his death mask on there. And no matter how we scaled the death mask, it just would not fit on the skull. It just, it, it, the ratios were wrong. And we know that the, the chin had been reconstructed, but we were focusing in on the eyes, the ridge, the brows. And you see here that it, it just didn't fit right. And so I, I was asking the doctors, I said, okay, let's go back and look at the skulls. You know, we're trying to make this fit. Uh, what's wrong here? And he said, well, in reality, the skull of the less intact is 
is a skull that we would think represented someone who got shot in the face. And so from all the experts, we came to the conclusion that this was not a match. This was not Hiram. And that, so then we came back and we put Joseph's skull with, with slight rotations on the skull, I mean, on the death mask. And it, it quickly came into alignment that we thought we had a match here. So from that, we saw that all these critical areas lined up and we could actually then see how well, and remember nothing's gonna be perfect here because we're still dealing with human people moving things around. I, I expect it will look better with new technology going forward. But at least enough for us, we felt we had a max and we go forward and then build out. And what this gave us, which was really important, was the rest of the structure of how this face fit on the skull. And then what are the percentages and the ratios to build out the rest of the 3D model? And so from that point, then we brought Hiram's death mass against this skull as best we could put it in. And obviously we had some deficit we had to deal with. But then we felt very comfortable that this one did match with the contours of the, at least the forehead and the eyes. And then we could use that. Now, the next picture I'm gonna show you is very important about the, the skull and the shot. This is the underneath picture of the more intact skull, which we identified as Joseph. There are some very delicate bones up here at the bridge of the, uh, of the nose here that if he was shot here on the left side, uh, it, it would have shattered those. And if you know anything about blunt force trauma, Blood from force trauma, when you're hitting the skull, does a different type of a trauma than a bullet. The blunt force trauma will push things in, and, uh, but a bullet will also push things in and also give an overpressure and blow things out. Where the, the skin will hold it in, intact, but all the fissures of the bones that make up the jaws and the skull, those could be fractured. And so that, the doctor says that would account for the damage that they saw in Hiram's a face when they dug it up the last time and saw that the face had, had uh, fallen in. And they looked at this and they said uh, it, it would be highly uh, improbable that this, this skull had received a shot to the head. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the trajectory of the shots that, to, that went through Joseph. So then also, when they first looked at the skulls, they identified this deficit here on this skull saying, well, Hiram was shot on the right side of the face. And here's the bullet that went through there. Well, he was shot on the left side. He was shot right here, around about this area, um, not here. So uh, this, is, this is damage that probably happened to Joseph. Uh, we know that he was beat upon after he was on the ground and that you know just the normal uh, deterioration and effects of the digging of the grain could have uh, of, you know, made this area be lost. This information probably, or this bones were probably in the grave was just overlooked because they were not archeologists. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to quickly go through here and talk about some of the areas that we know about Joseph. His death mass, and th those things that Locke and those guys are pointing out, there are things about the, the physical anatomy of, of his face. His left eyebrow, his left cheek is lower. There are some, you know, they talked about this uh, bump over here on his head. There's also the scowl lines, uh, the way the cheeks determine and then the face. These all are part of Joseph. Well, a lot of this actually matches up and goes through to the skulls because you have a lower left eyebrow and a lower flatter cheek. You see these things are lining up and part of from the bones out that represent who he is. And so then we did a lot of this analysis and then we put the skull inside the 3D model that we're building out to see how well it worked out. And, you know, to me, I am still very disappointed with what we ended up with. I was never happy 
what we ended up with. I ran out of money and couldn't do any uh, colorization or texture mapping, but uh, this is a team working together. Uh, this was a 3D animation team. They were relatively new, but they were leading the field in digitization and human anatomy. And I met with them and we like paid them some good money and they were just starting off and they were happy to have it. And this is actually in the basement where they had their office and they had their computers. And uh, this is kind of what we're, you know, some of the analysis that we worked with on the team. Fun times. Uh, and then as you see here, this is where we would take this apparatus and map out and get the 3D models in there. Once those were mapped off, then we could put them into the computer. And then we did trace outlines of the skulls and then put the, the 3D models up against those and then articulated that information out to actually build the rest of the, the heads. Now, this is where things would be a lot better going forward. Mm -hmm. The models, you know, <laughs> we can actually take 3D models of the skulls and then map them all together. And it'll be fascinating to see what it looks like. So to me, when I show all this, it's just like, well, you know, uh, it, this is this is old. This is not all that accurate, but it was what we did. So then uh, we did the models. Uh, I never liked this one because they put a camera in. It was kind of a fisheye, and I didn't have any money to put any um, colorization or texture map. And we just made a root. I mean, when they were doing hair back then, it was really really rough. So this represents the uh, best of the technology back then that I could afford. But uh, to be honest with you, to me, it's still, it's a kind of embarrassing to look at this, but it was fascinating at the time. Mm -hmm. And there's Joseph, uh, then there's also taking the skulls and the death mask and putting it over the Mozzie to see how things lined up. Mozzie was really good on the front profile. He was a little bit different on his spatial representation, but he was very accurate on his profiles. He was really good at that. And then there's this is one, we, I put them both together. We used Hiram's clothing and Joseph's clothing to build out the rest of the models so we can get the size and girth and things like that of models that were there. So this is actually Hiram's uh, undershirt that he was wearing when he was killed. And you can see there's the bloodshot, and this is, this is his right side, and this is his collar. So there's blood here on his right side, and there's not really much on the left side. Uh, here's his vest, and when he, on his vest, um, part of it was cut out here, but there's also a, trajectory where one of the bullets skipped along his chest and made a gouge in the, the vest. And it's really interesting. This vest is quite articulate. I mean, it's very beautiful uh, gold looking with a, a very intricate pattern. This is his uh, vest uh, from the back, his underpants and his pants. And these three holes represent one of the shots that went through Joe's Hiram from the back and penetrated him from the back and then hit his pocket watch, which is up in his front pocket and shattered that. So this is part of the mapping out the locations of the wounds of Joseph. So this is a 3D model of Joseph. This does not represent probably the girth that he had when he was dead, but this represents the height and the ratios that we had. And then we have Hiram and uh, just a really quick uh, playing around with that. This represents the wounds that were described in the placements that they had from the coroner's report. That, were, that was put together the, the evening of Joseph and Hiram's death there in Carthage. So these are the, the wounds. They call this as a wound. They call this as a shot and a shot and a shot and a grazing shot. But they always call this as a wound. A lot of us suspect that maybe when he fell out the window, he fell on his right side and people say that he did that and he broke his collarbone. That could be a compound fracture. We don't know, but it's a wound. Uh, then this is Hiram. This is where he was shot in the face. There's a uh, we anticipate an exit wound here, 
Then there's a grazing rune wound here. This is the shot from the back that hit his pocket watch. And then there's a grazing rune wound on the right side. And then there's a graze on his knee. Um, so we know this would be, could this could all line up as to one shot. And we'll have to see, we don't know. We'll let the forensic tell us about that. So the difference between what we had then, what we will do next is when we build out the new models using modern day technology, we will also put inside them all the organs that belong there, bones and organs. So all be placed there. So when we actually map the, the path of the shots that go through there, we're going to tell you what was impacted, what was, uh, you know, what was going on, not only with the, the, you know, the exit and entry holes, but what inside was being disrupted. And so this will all be part of those, those models and be part of the analysis. Of course, there's Carthage, this is the front. Uh, there's a lot of uh, documentation of what happened there, who was involved uh, from people exterior and interior. Um, like I said, I was given the opportunity to visit out there and spend some nights um, with lasers and mapping and tracing things and trying to figure out what would be necessary. This is the window that Joseph dove out. This is a, right here, and this is a well that he, a representation of the well that he was placed against, and then they fired more shots into his body. Um, this is a rough drawing of the interior of the um, of Carthage. This is the upstairs bedroom where Joseph and them were at. This window is the window that uh, John Taylor was sitting at when he saw the mob, mob coming towards the jail. And this is this goes out the front. This is the window that Joseph dove out. And this is a landing the door. It's not a very big landing. You can't get a lot of people on there. And there's a little gate here. So this, all this gives you a perspective of how many people can be there. What can they do? What does it look like when weapons are drawn? Uh, and those are all very important things to be part of the forensic analysis. Uh, this is the downstairs area. When they first were brought there to the jail, they were in the, oops, the debtor's jail cell, which is down here. And that was a window that's right at ground level. And the, and the, the um, owner of the, the jail was very uncomfortable having them because they were exposed to anybody that wanted to look in the window and shoot at them. So that's why he moved them upstairs into the upstairs area. And there actually is an attic to the Carthage. We mapped that out. Once again, this is the window that John Taylor was sitting at and he tried to go back out on when he had his uh, episode. So this is just a good picture of the shot that went through the door. This piece here had been cut out and had been repaired when, they, when the church bought the house, the gentleman that was a caretaker, he asked him, he said, hey, are you interested in the piece of wood that used to be there? And they said, do you have that? And he said, yeah, it's just in my workshop. So he went and he got that piece of wood and they put it back into the door, which is an amazing thing that they actually had that. Um, this is what it looks like from end on. Uh, and it shows kind of a path. Now remember, looking at all the things, you just have to think about all the fingers that have been pushed through that. So there, you know, the, the perfect pristine path has been compromised, but there is enough of a path that you can, you know, give an idea of, of what it could have looked like. And you see that it actually splintered the wood as it went through there. And this is the panel uh, where the shot went through the, that, that was described that hit Hiram. Now this is on the inside. So you can see that there's some fracturing of the wood as it came out of there. There's also close up with that. Uh, this is a dowel that we put through and we also put lasers through there for the first shot that went through the, the um, door frame. So that's the first shot that was recorded. 
And uh, that's you're looking at it from outside. You can see how small this uh, landing is. Uh, this is out towards the front. This is, uh, you know, you see that the, the people that were going to be involved with this, they were, there's a lot of people there and a lot of people probably represent six to eight. Uh, they, they didn't have a lot of maneuverable room and there's limited ability of different type of weapons that could be used there. Then this is taking a dowel, which we want to give you a graphic without the laser in there that shows you the path of that um, through there. And once again, you know that there was thousands of fingers that have pushed through that. Uh, once again, that's uh, the dowel is kind of representing what the gross path looks like. And from the inside, we see that this is the window that Joseph went out. You see the, the windowsill is very, very wide. At that time, these windows were open and this <coughs> bottom of the window frame was up against here. The overall width of the wood that was holding that area there was about, probably about three and a half, four inches and it was a solid oak. Uh, you, you don't jump and hit that window and break it and fall out, you bounce back. So it, to us, it was very apparent that probably Joseph had to forcefully dive out there to be able to make that work. And you can see that representation, how wide that sill is. Uh, and this is all part of the examination. This is this jail cell that Wilder Richard put John Taylor in to hide him and with the, put the hay over him after the mob left. This is a picture looking out towards the landing. And this is a six shot pepper box pistol that Joseph <coughs> was purported to have. And uh, I actually owned one of these for a while. This is the one that I owned. Uh, this device here was a mold where you can actually pour lead in there and it would give you the different types of shots that would be shot then. One was called a maxi load and the other one was just a round and ball. Um, and so that was reported what Joseph shot. Once again, this is looking down the landing and across from the front window of the landing. So these are all things that will be elements that we created. And these are the different type of bullets or rifles that are available for, for that time period. I'm going through this really, really quick. This is the front door that they came through the mob where the guards were hanging out. And this is just stepping back and looking at the, the door with the openings that are left with the shot. A lot of questions are asked is, was, was the pa panel, has it been taken out? Has it been rotated? Same thing with these things. Well, these are things will have to be examined and discussed. Uh, this is a window that was in the debtor cell that they moved Joseph and the, the folks out to go upstairs. So uh, all these things are part of the forensic analysis and reconstruction that we're going to do for that. So I think that's pretty much it for now okay. on this presentation. Well, this is this is why you think this is so important. So you you basically you want the more data points you have, whether it's within the jail, um, the bullet holes, um, and then the uh, the wounds and everything on on Joseph and Hiram, you're going to be able to build out exactly what happened in that room. Like you have enough data to actually recreate. Do you believe you'll have enough data to actually be like 99, 100 percent accurate of what really happened in that room? How, how what's your certainty on something like that? Well, so I've learned early on to not make bold statements until you get into doing it. Yep. So um, we feel that, uh, and this is where it gets back into Carthage. How, how much of the original crime scene is still there and intact? Well, the, the gross physical dimensions are still there. So those help you actually establish the parameters of what could possibly happen when you take in shots coming in and out of the windows, coming from different places. You can establish all that. Then you have the two uh, bullet holes through the door and the door jam. Uh, that we're going to have to analyze and say, how accurate is that? And what are the parameters that we have to adjust for? 
And then, then, then can we take the 3D models and move them through there? So the nice thing is once you have the gross anatomy of the room there, then you can actually have models of Joseph and Hiram and Rilla Richard and John Taylor. We'll build all those and mob. And then <clears throat> we can walk around the scenario of the different wounds that they have. And from the directions that they receive them, the pathways to their description from the, from the coroner's report and from the different accounts, we can say, okay, if this is how it's supposed to happen, this is what it's gonna look like. Does it look like it could have happened that way? What happened to John Taylor when he says he got shot from outside and hit his pocket and rolled back in? What are the different type of bullets that would make the different wounds that he has? So these are the things that we feel that Carthy, surprisingly enough, has a lot, uh, has uh, still intact enough to be able to use as a crime scene with the caveat that you explore and examine and determine how much is still accurate and how much we have to have uh, understanding of the variations that will be brought into play. But I mean, for example, what does a mob scene look like? Well, we'll build out 3D models of a mob and we'll see how many people can stand out there. Can they move uh, uh, rifles and pistols around? Was it a rifle that shot through the door or was it a pistol? Uh, what does it tell us? I mean, you know, I've, I've taken a rifle and decided to try was there and tried to shoot it through that door through the panel. You got to put like this. You have to actually make some really interesting gyrations to make it work when you look at the different angles that are there. So, you know, these are things really examined. So all this was part of some of the forensic analysis I started years and years ago. And the reason why I stopped is I did not feel the technology was ready for a real accurate. And I've already gone through one process where I thought we did okay uh, using technology and that I just set it aside and said, you know, someday maybe I'll come back and do it if it's necessary. And I think today's someday and technology has now come to a point where we could really do a really good thing. And I think that there's been enough variations and rumors with people with agendas who have tried to talk about who killed Joseph Smith and things like that. It's time for us to go in with a forensic eye and not with an agenda and just say, what does it tell us? What could have happened here? And walk through the scenarios. And then whatever it will tell us is what we're going to show. And so people say, well, aren't you afraid? And I said, well, why should I be afraid of the truth, the facts? And so I'm open enough and I trust science to be able to tell us what's going on. Uh, will there be some surprises? So things we'll discover that maybe are a little bit different than the, the, the you know, the words of John Taylor and Willie Richards. Well, I expect that to happen because even the forensic crime team says those are not the most accurate representation of what happened. They are helpful, but they will not be the most accurate because they were acted upon. But there are a lot more other witnesses that have statements um, that were not members of the church or that were in different areas around Nauvoo that, that bring into play some of the evidence is what went on there. You can't just put a, a bubble around now, a few minutes of there and then try to invent a story of what things happen. You need to use a true forensic. And one of the things that, that these forensic scientists, the crime scene forensic people, they've watched the different portrayals of that. And their opinion was, and that's their opinion to me, is they're saying these are not real clean forensic analysis. And they, they, I told them, well, do you map out what we need to do? And you guide the team. Your job is to guide the team, not me. You're the expert. And just pretend like this is a scene. How would you approach that? Well, you approach that by analyzing, getting the facts, but then you also start interviewing people and find out who was involved. Where did it start? And going back, and that's why we have the first part of the documentary and all the history. So a lot of people, a lot of facts. Uh, you had an interview with a gentleman that had a great background of the 
what I call the catalyst of that. And you know, those things should be part of this because that's what the crime scene analysis would do. They want to go, okay, who did it? Who's responsible? What was the catalyst? What, you know, and then who were the parties? How did it happen? And, and how did it you know, transpire to get to where we're at? So I, we talked about this and there were a lot of people they wanted Joseph dead. <laughs> yeah. And, and many of them were represented in of those groups were represented in the mob. A lot of people in that yeah. mob came there with different agendas. Yeah. And then most people don't realize there's a lot of documentation that the original intent was to go up there and capture Joseph and Hiram, who were not supposed to be armed, bring them out to the to the city square and hang them. So they wanted to make it a, a public spectacle. So there's a lot of different, you know. Uh, conversations and uh, historical documentation of what should have happened and what did happen. And, uh, and so it'll be fascinating to actually do a real clean or as accurate as possible crime scene analysis of that. And, but you have to have the right type of people with the expertise. And then you, you need to be the point where these people guide us and say, okay, we're seeing this, we're putting this together, show me this. And then they'll say, I need more information. This is missing. Can we find it? Is there, uh, you know, records of that? Uh, the coroner's report is going to be very important. Um, you know, the clothing, examination of these things. So they will guide the experts and then start analyzing that and helping us put together what that looks like. So and this so is, let's, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, this is really fascinating stuff. We're going to be using the latest technology. We're going to be using AI. Um, yeah. One of the things we talked about the other day was literally you could take um, the once you have all the information complete and you're able to do the, the anatomy and everything like this, is that you would be able to then like scan the 19th century photographs and potentially find a Hiram Smith photo or another Joseph Smith photo because you would have all the data there. And, uh, and there's so many other things that we talked about. This technology that you're going to be using and developing and uh, to, to utilize this is going to be can be used for so many different things in regards right. to all of this. I mean, it's not just about rebuilding the crime scene. It's about maybe finding other photographs. It's about maybe even like uh, being able to take, just do experiments. Like if you wanted to, you could like age Joseph, like let's say the martyr martyrdom never happened. And I think one of the greatest photos that you could ever put together would be a elderly Emma and an elderly Joseph sitting next to each other. Uh -huh. as a, and, 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 and in an alternative timeline, maybe that photo exists, you know, that's <laughs> right. what I find so fascinating. And well, it, we got this awesome photo. Uh, mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're saying, hey, I think this is it. So I think this is really cool yeah. what you're doing, Shannon. So, uh, so, so one thing I also want to bring up here is when we get through building the 3D models of Joseph Fire, we will offer that to anyone who wants to take that information sure. and they can use it to do whatever authentication. We won't hold on to them and say, that's just ours. We'll say, hey, uh, they can come to say, hey, we think this is Joseph. We think that is Joseph. Well, okay, here's what we have. See what it tells you. I'm not telling you that you have to rely upon that. I think Locke and Ron are doing the right approach where you do a multiple approach to that. You look at what you have and you identify the structures that are similar. And I really like what they did with that painting. I really kind of dismissed that painting a lot, but once they actually went through there and I started looking at that in a little bit more detailed, and we had done that in the past, but them picking up that, that artist was actually pretty good in, of capturing some of the things, the, the differences in the lip and, and uh, the sizes, and those are all there as well. And so those are, those are the elements of the anatomy of Joseph that when you've studied him, you've taken this death map and you have looked at it extensively, and, and I've done that, you begin to be very familiar with what needs to be here to be Joseph, or actually represent this. So it's not, 
Does that have any degree or art to that? No, but there's a familiarity that you do get. And I think that a lot of the people specifically on Lot's team and specifically Ron has taken that time to do that. So, you know, I would say those guys are experts because they have studied and analyzed uh, and, and looked at who these people are. So I feel very comfortable and I, 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 I applaud them. Uh, hats off to them for what they've done. They've done a fascinating job and I, I respect them for what they're trying to do. And I do not want to be in the way of what they're trying to do. That is their project. It's not my project. I don't belong there. Uh, it's what they're doing. And that image needs to have the breath and the air for it to be able to finish on its own without any interference. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know, it, so, and that's very important. So well, one thing I want to share something. I want to oh, show sure. you uh, a few things that I think that would be. Now, keep in mind, too, Shannon, we're having you back on. And so we'll get okay. these images, but folks just want to let you right. know, this is, Shannon has some other things that he wants to bring to the table and he wants to talk about that I think you guys are going to find fascinating. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay so, so this is interesting. This is, this is uh, William Smith later on when he was older. And the original one of this, not, not with, uh, and what we've done is we take this picture and we've used a really rudimental AI to animate it. When I first look at this, when I look at the original, that's just a, paint, a picture, he looks really old and crunchy and, and, a, and a, like the, the world, he hates the world. <laughs> but then when I took this image and we just put it through a really basic animation. Okay, it's not working. Okay, there we go. it's jumping around. Let me start it back up again. It brought life to it, and I thought, "Hey, you know, I kind of like this guy now." And you know, hey, this is very rude and very, you know, it's not perfect, but it also shows to you some of the genetic anatomy of the Smith family, where certain traits that come out. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. Of uh, you know, this there's also there's this one of his son. Now, when were you doing this stuff? What year? Just, just recently, this last, this the last six. Oh, okay. So this stuff you've been playing around. Yeah, it's fascinating seeing this. It, it, I, I love when I see this type of animation because it really does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's I mean, it's not. This is not the best, but this is kind of some freeware that you can go around and play and with. Who, and, by the way, who is that? And, just so the, the audience. Knows uh, I can't remember which one of the sons. It's one of the sons. Okay. Um, this is Joe Smith III when he was a lot younger. Probably not a good picture of him. Uh -huh. He had a very elongated. I'd say he 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 took after his mother more than uh, his father. Huh. Um, this one here. I mean, these are just for fun and giggles. <laughs> I mean, they're you know they're not serious reflections, but it right. just says okay. You, seeing a little bit of what AI can do. Um, uh, it just gives us a little perspective of, of like a taste of what we can do. This one is actually Oliver Cadre. This yeah. is a photograph that was discovered of him. And this is a, the second elder of the church. So, yeah. So what you have is there's this canned routines that the face will follow and they put it through an AI and it does these things. There's actually some that is them like I kind of a dancing thing and kind of a silly thing is, you know, hey, he's a, <laughs> be bopping out here yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah i mean this is just uh you know it is um i'm gonna bring one more thing over this is an oil painting that we had commissioned and i, I told you i'd come back to this so mm -hmm. from this image this is a side image and 
saying that it's re representing the proper right and left side, which one of these legs would be the leg that Joseph had his wound in, do you think? Yeah, okay, so. What so everybody always reported that he never st stood straight. Like here's higher and standing more straight, but he always stood with one leg slightly cocked. Okay. And it, and it was because one of the legs was shorter than the other, and it was uncomfortable for him to sit slightly cocked. So he always had kind of a, this kind of a stance. So if this is accurate, then the shorter leg would be this uh, left leg, and the right leg would be the longer leg. So, so you're saying that when we're talking about the history of Joseph, it was never told which leg it was? It was well, was there, is, there is some that does say okay. that. Uh, but then again, <laughs> I'm just me. I'm a forensic guy. You know, what yeah, do we yeah. see? What tells us from that? And it's just one of those, you know, ideas. So once again, you know, we've probably gone way too long. I'm not sure how long you want to do this. And I, I do all this thing. Everything that I just showed you right now from our investigation before, it's all sub subject correction. And to me, the best thing that could happen is, is we set it aside. We start over and bring the experts for now and the technology now and say, okay, what does it tell us? And I'm okay. All that, that's throwaway. It's throwaway, and I have no, no conception or pride as the support thing. There's nothing in there for me to protect. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of people have been critical on certain things that they thought we did or didn't do. Uh, I'm okay. That's fine. Uh, and everybody can have their opinion. I know that when we did this, we tried to be as accurate and uh, exacting and not manipulating it as best we could. It were mistakes made, probably. But when we can go back in with more modern-day technology, we can remove more of that. And then it'll be interesting to see what technology can can show us now. And so the reason, the main reason why I wanted to talk to you is one, to tip my hat to the the lock and run and say, well, John, great job. And I think you got something here. You've convinced me enough to take a look at this that this really could be. And when I look at that image, that image of uh, of um, let me bring it over. Not mine. To this one here. Let me share it again. This to me looks like a real person. And but yet it has some character of age on him. He's been through a life. But he it there are elements here that and I mean, if you watch Locke and Ron's presentation and you should watch that, they walk you through um, why they feel that this has something. And there are so many elements here that if you've studied his death mass, you study his anatomy, it, it rings true that this needs to be analyzed and uh, reviewed. So for my mind, and there are a lot of people out there who are probably gonna be surprised on saying this. Uh, and there may be some people who had been very comfortable with some of the other things that I've done and made statements of, you know, there's another image out there. There's a time where those can be brought forward and they can be talked about. It's not mine to do right now. Right now we should focus on, on this image and let it come to the conclusion. So. Uh, any other questions you have? Uh, so the reason why I wanted the image was reversed. Uh, was that the it, you had the copyright go? So it's 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 is this is this a mirror image that you're doing? I just want to make sure if that it, you know I I have to go look and see why that shows that it's reversed. Okay, there, okay. So, so there was no. It just happened. Okay, I just want to make sure right, people might see right. that and thinking that you're. Yeah. Okay. All right. So no, go look at the one that Locke has. Go look the ones on the front of that. Hold up that book again. That's oh, yeah. the one. That's accurate. Remember, I am I'm not privy to this stuff. This is this is uh, this is Locke and Ron and their project, and they're doing a fantastic job. I trust them to do it right. They're very. I mean, if you've ever talked with either of those, they're very methodical, very weighted, even people. Uh, 
And so uh, it's 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 an attribute to who they are and what they've done. And, and we always talked earlier on, and when we talked about the, the other project, and that the, we anticipated that some time during the future, other images would start coming out of Joseph. Uh, as we start talking about and, and showing that there's more of an opportunity or potential that's there. So it does not surprise me that this one came out and it's really exciting that it has. And I think it's enough said for me. I don't want to step on Locke and Ron's frame of probably people say that I'm doing it now, but I, that's not my purpose. No, so really you, had even, you had already done a conference this, this, this spring in which you made your presentation about building out this technology Right. It's not like, and, and then you had some health issues. You would have, this project would have already been going if you yeah. didn't run into some hiccups along the way, which hopefully, uh, Shannon, I, I really uh, want to extend my uh, thoughts and prayers to you uh, that you get well and you, you win this battle. Um, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I really, I do care about you. You seem, we've, we've gotten to know each other over the last week and a half. And I really appreciate the work that you've done. I'm there's a lot of stuff that you and I've talked about off camera that it's just mind blowing some of the stuff and it's really amazing yeah. folks. And one day, maybe we could talk about those things too. Yeah. And then we're going to have you back, man. So uh, okay. if we missed anything today, man, we're going to, we'll make sure we cover it <laughs> next time. So okay. before I let you go, was there any final words you wanted to share with the audience? Remember, I'm, there's going to be a link. If you want to contact Shannon, I'm going to leave his email. And so if you want to help financially support this endeavor, um, Voices of the Restoration, um, you know, do that too. So Shannon, uh, you got any final words? No, uh, like I said, if they go to that email, uh, we're in the process of getting a website up and a YouTube page and other things. Um, I'm just now kind of getting back to where I can function a little bit more. So we're late. Uh, but I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do this. And I thank um, Ron and, and Locke for what they're doing. And it's fascinating. So, uh, and for those who are watching this, hopefully you, you understand that whether or not this is Joseph or not, to me, the real feeling is it doesn't really matter when it comes to it's it's the man and what he did and how you feel about him. But it's nice to be able to take a look at an image and say, that's a real person like me. And, you know, and that's and Joseph was a real man and he had a life experiences. And I relate better when I see things like that. Not necessary, but it's sure a lot of fun. So, oh, folks, uh, thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing with us. I think our audience is going to be really appreciative of this. Uh, you know, my, my program, we get deep in the weeds, man, and we get some of the people who are really, really interested in this stuff. So I like this. I love your presentation. I love that it took a long time because I think it's important that we get the details and, and people understand exactly what you're doing. Um, folks, I just want to thank you for watching. And don't forget, uh, if you like uh, uh, stuff like this, uh, please uh, like and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to hit the uh, bell to be notified when a new video comes out. Also, there will be links in the description, not only for Shannon's email, but also if you'd like to financially support the channel on PayPal and Patreon, that's there. Of course, don't forget the merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Um, and so, and then once the website gets live uh, later on, I'll also have a link in the description uh, for that once you guys get all that set up. And so, yeah, and then, of course, uh, the audio for the podcast, we're a little behind on that. Anthony is working on that. And is there, if there's anybody out there that maybe could help us volunteer with the audio, that'd be great, too. Um, thanks again, everybody. And just a reminder, uh, all the voices of the restoration will be heard on Mormon Book Reviews.